You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Tricia Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell, narrated by Andrea Fuller. Episode 12. Sid's father filled them in about the camps he heard about, where all the imprisoned students were taken and processed. He couldn't understand how the president was able to convert so many intelligent young people. Sid described what they'd seen to her father after the bomb explosion and the drone attacks. How anyone who breathed in the air at the site became incapacitated and was promptly removed by real soldiers. She told him about Gil and how he yanked her off the sidewalk and away from the explosion and the tainted air. The drone attacks, the building implosion, and the bombing of the field house. As they were approaching the Fairmount station, Sid stopped cold. Everyone else followed suit, unsure. This is where was all she could say. As if a bell was rung somewhere, the rest of Sid's group understood immediately. They solemnly approached the spot where Gil's body would still be. Kyle whispered to the rest of the group, There still may be recruits at the station ahead. We lost someone there. Jack thought for a moment. We should consider a defensive tactic. We're a light infantry on foot, with little to no armed support. Our best bet is to sneak past without mobilizing the enemy. Agreed, Trent said. They broke up into a single-file formation and kept conversation to a minimum. As they reached the station, it was obvious the recruits had gone. But the small platoon continued their creep, so as not to draw any attention in the event there were hidden recruits. Sid was just behind Kyle. She gestured to Gil's body, less than 50 feet away from them on the other side of the tracks. Sid whispered something to Kyle, to which he shook his head. She pleaded with him, then he reluctantly conceded. Without getting any approval from Jack, Kyle scampered across the tracks, keeping low. What's going on? Jack whispered angrily. Kyle knelt by Gil's body and grimaced. Gil was devastated by the train, and his remains were a gruesome sight, even for Kyle. He dug into Gil's pocket for his letter and quickly dashed back over the tracks to the group. Jack was very obviously disappointed. A little warning next time, he asked Kyle. Acting irresponsibly and impulsively risks the group's safety. Kyle nodded like a scolded preschooler. He handed Sid the note from Gil's pocket which she was about to tuck away until she noticed her name was on it. Huh? She said, scrutinizing the handwriting to be sure she was seeing it correctly. She showed it to Kyle, and he nodded. Yeah, saw that, he said. Read it, I guess. She unfolded the crumpled letter and read the first few lines to herself. Dearest Sydney, because I never married or had children of my own, I write this letter to you. If I were to ever have a daughter, I would want her to be just like you, my dear. Sid folded the letter back up neatly and stuffed it into her pants pocket. No, she said, "Uh uh-uh. Kyle touched her shoulder, but she shrugged him off. Moving on, she whispered loudly, marching to the front of the crowd. Without question, the rest of the group fell in line. Kyle watched her helplessly from behind. Sid's ability to compartmentalize would never cease to impress him. The walk between Fairmount Station and University was dead quiet. 
Before they reached their destination, Jack insisted they stop and formulate a tactical plan. Kyle helped assemble masks for the men who didn't have them, while Sid drew a bird's-eye view map of the campus. She drew a massive X where the imploded building was, and another one over where the field house used to be, assuming that Ben was somewhere in between the two. Trent helped dole out weapons to those who didn't have them, while men from the new group converted their torches into clubs for bludgeoning recruits if necessary. The night's moving in, Jack said, but we can't risk torches if we want to maintain some degree of stealth. Just remember, this is not an attack, he explained. It's a recovery mission. The goals are very different. My goal is recruit corpses, as many as possible, Trent said. No, Jack argued. Those recruits were students, like you guys. No casualties unless absolutely necessary. We're not killing for sport. That wastes time and energy we don't have, are we clear? Trant looked sheepishly at his feet. Gil thought there might be a possibility of restoring recruits to their former selves. An antidote for their condition. We can't act otherwise until we know for sure, Sid told them. They are innocent bystanders, technically, Jack said. But if your life is in danger, you act accordingly. You will break into groups of four, no more, and sneak onto campus, staying close to the perimeter. You will move from cover to cover, Jack reminded them. You have all been instructed as to which building you'll be searching. Is anyone unclear on the rules of engagement, he asked. Everyone shook their heads. They spent the next half hour quietly preparing homemade slingshots using rubber bands and bamboo skewers, flamethrowers using butane-filled lighters, and coin launchers that could take out an eye. Their weapons weren't lethal, but were meant to hold off their attackers until their mission was complete. Sid stood and stretched with her hands on her hips, bending from side to side. She grabbed her left foot in the back and stretched her quad, then her right foot, Kyle stood with her and spoke in low tones. I know your dad's plan is for us all to split into smaller groups, but I'd rather we all stuck together. You know, safety in numbers, he said. Unfortunately, Sid was already in soldier mode. I don't need protection, she told him. I'm good. She zipped up her bag and slung it over her shoulder, sliding the walking cane in the back through the shoulder strap. She practiced whipping it out to make sure it was readily available if needed. You should get with your group. Kyle stood there, hoping Sid would look up at him, wishing for that one moment they could look into each other's eyes so that she would know his feelings and he would know hers. But she kept focus. She knew that if she looked Kyle in the eyes at that very moment, she would grab his hand and run back down that tunnel, away from the recruits and imploded buildings and fire and weapons and drones. And away from Ben. Fall in, Jack whispered loudly, and they all scrambled into their group formations. Kyle reluctantly turned away from Sid, and although she didn't watch him leave, she felt it. With every ounce of her being, she loathed herself momentarily for her spinelessness, then felt another pang of self-hatred for her disloyalty to Ben. She marched to her group and faced forward. They crept up the subway stairs, with Jack in the lead. He raised his hand, indicating for the troops to hold back, while he poked his head above the surface and surveyed the scene before him. 
Dark, sinister clouds hovered above as a crisp fall wind swept through the campus. The streetlights flickered around the perimeter. A half-dozen military trucks lined the avenue with recruits robotically embarking the vehicles and exiting the area. After the last truck was on its way, Jack signaled for them to move forward. Looks like they're pulling out the bulk of the troops, but there will be sentries of some kind, Jack warned them. No way they left the campus unguarded. Jack faced them. Any cell phone, pager, tablet, or other item that beeps or rings or honks or toots, turn it off now. Our goal is to avoid detection. One group at a time, he whispered, stepping aside. Enter your assigned building, sweep the rooms, round up survivors, and meet back at this station. He quizzed each as to their destination before allowing them to pass. Horticultural building, whispered the leader of the first four. Jack nodded and they scurried past, disappearing into the alley between two historical buildings. Winston Hall, Trent told Jack as he escorted his group above ground. They followed a different route, down the avenue and up the back of campus by the dorms. Jeannie and her group were next. The library? She said to Jack. Are you asking me or telling me? He said. The library, she repeated more confidently. Proceed, Jack said. Jeannie and her group took the main road, but kept low, hiding behind parked cars. Sid stepped up. Feral building, she told her father. He put his hand on her shoulder. No hero stuff, he said. Find Ben and bring him back. Sid nodded and tiptoed to the surface. Kyle watched helplessly as she left the safety of their troop. He stared after her, willing her to turn around and look back so he could see her eyes for what might have been the last time. But she didn't. She ran with her group away from Kyle's protection, away from his gentle eyes and his soothing voice, away from the man who could make her forget Ben, if she let him. No, she wouldn't turn back, because if she did, she might abort the whole mission and run away with Kyle. She just wasn't ready to reward herself with that possibility, yet. Kyle pushed his way in front of the group that was next in line. Please, he begged Jack. I can keep an eye on her. Jack scrutinized the young man for a moment, one eyebrow lifted. This guy wasn't Sid's boyfriend. And while Jack would never approve of any impropriety, Kyle did seem to care about the welfare of his only daughter. After all, everything was different than it was a week ago, even though he'd always known this would happen. The country that he swore to protect, the world they were about to live in. For all he knew, Ben was dead already, and it was quite possible Jack could be killed himself. Who, then, would take care of his daughter? Jack finally nodded and let Kyle's group ahead. Kyle wasted no time following the exact course that Sid took. The nighttime skies were stormy and ominous, making it even harder to distinguish the smoldering fieldhouse from the murky clouds. Kyle hadn't caught up to Sid, but he had her in his sights. A distant roll of thunder vibrated a few miles to the west as Jack watched their figures disappear onto the campus. Kyle and his team stayed on Sid's tail. My eyes are wonky from being in the tunnel all day, he said to his group. That is Sid over there, right? One of them nodded, then laughed. What's she doing? Some kind of dance? 
or is she being chased by a bee? He asked. What? Kyle said, reaching in his pack for a homemade scope that he and Gil assembled back on the first night from an old microscope in the lab. He finally found it at the bottom of his bag and pointed it in Sid's direction. He had to scan the area a bit to find her in the darkness. Sid and her group were standing under a tree not far from the feral building. She was waving her arms wildly and pointing to the sky. Kyle aimed the scope up at the very moment he heard the buzzing. Drones, he yelled, grabbing his group together. Run! They sprinted towards Connery Hall and found nothing but locked entrances. The drones swarmed, ducking and weaving in the sky above, invisible but for their blinking red lights. These are the surveillance drones, Kyle told them. They can't shoot us, but they can probably... Suddenly, there were four recruits running from across the square toward them, traveling at inhuman speeds. Alert the recruits, Kyle shouted, finishing his thought as they tried to bash through a window. The three men in his group were able to get into the building through the window, but Kyle was not as lucky. He pulled out his rubber band finger shooter and loaded it with a nail. He landed a shot directly in the face of the closest recruit. The recruit's head flew back and he crumpled to the ground, holding his face and trying to remove the projectile. Kyle launched a second nail, but it missed its intended target. Luckily, one of his group members had made it to the second floor and took out two recruits, giving Kyle enough time to pull out his homemade flamethrower. The fourth recruit was just a few feet away when Kyle unleashed a roaring cloak of fire from his DIY flamethrower, igniting its clothing. It fell to the ground, screeching and writhing. Kyle knew that more recruits would be there soon, so he squeezed himself and his pack all at once through the window and hightailed it to the second floor with the rest of his team. From the window, they watched more recruits approach. They're coming, Kyle said. You and you start sweeping the floors for students. I'll hold them off as long as I can from here. Two of them scooted up the stairs. Kyle watched the recruits from the window. Look, he said aloud, they won't go past the fire. Kyle let out a laugh. So weird. Are they hypnotized? What are they doing? About four more recruits arrived at the spot of the burning corpse, standing a foot away from him, staring forward and looking flummoxed. With that, Kyle was off and running back down to the first floor. He was certain that the drones would have signaled many more recruits to the square, so he slipped out a back door and ran to the library where Jeannie and crew had been assigned. He dug into his pack for the lighter fluid Cody had left behind from his Zippo and drew a line in front of the building with the fluid. He then struck a match and lit the fluid on fire, knowing now that the recruits would not cross it. Working quickly, he made his way around the square, followed by the buzzing drones, repeating the line of fire in front of the entrances for Winston Hall and Farrell Hall. Sure enough, more recruits had arrived on the scene, but some strange leftover self-preservation instinct prevented them from crossing the fire lines. By the time he circled around to the back door of Connery Hall, Kyle was laughing maniacally at his good luck. They would all have a little more time to sweep the rooms properly and find more students. His smile lost its sparkle when he found his teammates on the third floor, standing over a group of slain students. This is the third group we found like this, one of the men remarked. Not one person alive. 
the men were all fairly rattled by the grisly scene. I was afraid of this, Kyle said. Maybe the others had better luck. Just then, a loud thunderclap boomed overhead, followed by an angry downpour pounding the flat roof. Lightning illuminated the shadowy building. The men walked to the windows to watch the storm for a moment. I haven't seen a storm like this in a while, one said, when suddenly there was another booming sound. Was that thunder? Another asked. That's not thunder, Kyle yelled, looking down at the entrance and across the square. The rain put out the fires. The recruits are in the building. The booming sound of the recruits' feet against the steps came closer and closer. To the roof, Kyle yelled, racing toward the stairwell. You're listening to The Point of Survival, brought to you by Solstice Media, written by Tricia Haggerty. Music and audio production by Ed Batewell, narrated by Andrea Fuller.